Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first property casualty insurance podcast, bringing you perspective and insight on the top issues facing industry professionals. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Kathy Imus. Today, we're uncovering workers' compensation, why the new state Senate president plans to revisit the Florida insurance laws. Plus, it's not too late to innovate. Guy Fraker of Insurance Thought Leadership discusses how companies can inexpensively start exploring new opportunities. And blockchain, the creative way the new technology can make the subrogation process more efficient. But first, the news. In Florida, new Senate President Bill Galvano is promising to revisit the state's workers' compensation insurance laws almost three years after a landmark Supreme Court decision that struck down statutory limits on attorneys' fees. He says there's a chance the rulings could result in rate hikes in the future. Galvano's willingness to tackle workers' compensation insurance comes on the heels of an announcement this month by the Florida Office of Insurance Regulation that rates will go down an average of 13.8% in 2019. That follows a 9.5% average rate reduction this year. And Congress is back to work after the midterm elections and the Thanksgiving holiday with a packed agenda over the next few weeks. Among the major items on the must-do list is reauthorization of the National Flood Insurance Program, which is once again set to expire at the end of this week. NAMIC is continuing to push Congress to avoid a lapse in the program. Lawmakers could opt for a short-term extension of just one week, allowing them to include a longer-term NFIP extension in legislation needed to fund the federal government beyond December 7th. But attaching NFIP reauthorization to government funding legislation carries its own risks. It would increase the potential for a partial government shutdown over what some have said is President Trump's last chance to win funding for a proposed border wall before the Democratic House majority is seated in January. NAMIC recently submitted comments to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration on automated vehicle deployment. NHTSA had issued an advance notice of proposed rulemaking in early October seeking input on pilot programs for safe on-road testing of AVs. NAMIC's comments emphasize that the single most important reason to support the development of automated vehicles is the potential for the technology to enhance safety and save lives. As modern technologies such as AVs threaten to disrupt the insurance industry, It's important for companies to strategically prepare for what's to come. On today's Unscripted, Chuck Chamnus talks with Guy Fraker, Chief Innovation Officer at Insurance Thought Leadership. They discuss a recent survey conducted jointly with the Institutes about why an innovation strategy is a must for insurers of all sizes. Well, welcome to the show, Guy. It is a pleasure to have you with us here on Insurance Uncovered, our podcast at NAMIC. Well, we are going to talk about disruption in our technology and the evolving insurance market and where technology intersects with insurance. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Uh, I know you've recently partnered with the Institutes on a new survey about uh, innovation and insurance. And uh, I got a chance to read it. It's very interesting. And... um, so I guess I'll just start with a kind of a broad question based on what you found out. You know, would you say that our industry, you know, with respect to innovation is ahead of the curve, behind the eight ball, or, or right kind of in the sweet spot? 
Well, I think when an industry becomes the focus of technological development and rap rapid uh, development cycles among entrepreneurs, um, immediately, almost immediately, in this day and age, the the incumbent companies feel like they're behind the curve. Um, right now, and I'd say for the past two or three years, the insurance industry has finally uh, taken its place in line among industries to be disrupted by entrepreneurs and technological development. Um, I think they're doing their best to catch up. Um, it runs the full gamut from, I think, from companies who are still sitting back, not sure this is going to happen kind of thing, all the way to those that have said, are saying, we can use these new technologies and embrace them to create new markets. Um, and and they're, they're, the majority of companies, as you'd expect, are somewhere right in the middle. Yep. Well, you know, I know that uh, while we, it's really hard to generalize. I have a slide that uh, I think was from a Deloitte uh, study, but it's kind of the entire landscape of insure tech. And, um, you know, you really, it's even hard to generalize about insure tech because there's so many different little corners of it. Uh, you know, a few, and we could name names, I won't hear, you may, but uh, there's a few that are clearly uh, potential disruptors and, and have a business plan that they hope will lead them to disrupting our industry. The vast majority are uh, technologies that our member companies will use uh, once proven and, uh, uh, you know, as they can afford them and as they think customers will benefit from them. And, and so they will be, you know, um, great resources for our industry going forward. Um, you know, I think in the survey you, you dealt with some of this. And why don't I lead off with the next question really about that? I mean, when you... Um, you know, what was the purpose of the survey is probably a good starting point, but what were the key findings that you think our listeners would be interested in? Um, well, I think significantly are the number of companies who differentiate innovation between being a top tier priority and a mid tier priority. Um, we all know that uh, companies operate uh, fairly, you know, are, are operating fairly efficiently, and that translates into dollars and attention tend to go to the top tier priorities. Um, I think for companies that still see this as optional or uh, mid-level, um, th those are the companies that I think face some very systemic risk. It's interesting to me, InsureTech as a term and as a collection of early stage companies is easy to fairly easy to articulate and define in because it's addressing an industry that we're within and we understand the real disruption i believe is going to come from those companies that are fundamentally trying trying to reinvent the risks that this industry has grown up around um so for example a question is is an insure tech, would you include driverless cars in insure tech? Or would you, con or, or uh, DNA capabilities that have the potential to extend lifespan? Those are certainly disruptive and create opportunities for new, for new entrants and new models. Um, and, and so I think when we look at insure techs, 
as disruptors, we're moving that goal line a little too close. Um, too close to the definition of disruption. Um, I, I think the real disruption is going to be if there, if we reach a point in the next five years where you have a 70% drop off in vehicle accident rates, that's disruptive. Um, being able to significantly improve efficiencies internally through artificial intelligence and data analytics may feel disruptive, but it's in the confines of a business model that's well understood and, and, and kind of a status quo. Well, let's talk, talk a little about the, uh, those companies that would uh, consider themselves true disruptors. They'd like to replace you know, our, our members in the industry. It seems to me there's a couple of um, significant impediments to some of their operations, uh, including you know, our member companies, 80% of them are 100 years old or older. And they've, they've learned a few things in those uh, 100 years. And they've generated capital over successful operations over 100 years. And it seems to me that, you know, while it's easy to fund a business, um, well, relatively easy, if you have a good idea, business plan, and, and, and you know, a team, uh, there is certainly capital available to fund a business that can be, um, you know, that you can cash out of later in the insurtech space. But it's harder to get the capital that is actually what we call in our industry surplus that pays claims, and it's hard to generate it over time through successful operations. And I know we've seen from a few of these disruptors, you know, their early results in terms of a couple years of experience um, where they, they have not been successful and, you know, by at least the traditional metrics around our business and uh, our financial results. So I, I guess I'd, and the other thing I'd say is just the regulation. I mean, we know that we operate in a heavily regulated environment. There's real reasons for that, including that we make a promise to policyholders to pay claims in the future. So I'm curious about how you see those disruptors uh, over time kind of overcoming those, you know, what I would consider two pretty significant barriers to success. Sure. No, I appreciate that. And um, so my standard disclaimer in talking about this topic specifically is it's too early to tell. Um, and things can certainly turn out and will turn out differently than we see them today. Having said that, I think you're touching upon the great blessing and curse facing incumbents in this industry, which is that um, capital and the investment portfolio. For many companies that have matured over, over the years, I think there's a legitimate question about, is it an investment company funded by an insurance premium or is it an insurance company that's still taking new risks, managing those risks, supported by an investment portfolio? Either way, either way, the investment portfolio is a tremendous tool that can, I believe, be used to really embrace uh, some of these new models. There will be a washout. There's no question. Um, those companies that, particularly in in uh, your membership, that have been around and learned a thing or two, as you said, understand the almost infinite variability of human error. And many startups, of course, 
while they understand their technology extremely well, they don't understand the creative lengths to which we can go to crash things or wreck things or have things destroyed that need to recover. At the end of the day, the industry plays a vital role as it has for hundreds of years. And that role is not going to change, I don't believe. And that is to enable stability in an economy, to enable democratization of access to people who can do it once but couldn't do it twice. And as the industry embraces the innovation economy, they'll enable that for everybody's benefit, including customers, um, employees, uh, leadership. And, and so I don't think we've made that turn yet where it's where companies are actively seeking ways to disrupt themselves. Well, that's very interesting. And you can see how, uh, how disruption, um, is a theme with, um, a few of those scenarios. I mean, particularly, uh, when you look at largest line of uh, property casualty insurance business, the auto line, um, you know, there, there's a lot at stake if, uh, if some of these are successful. Oh, tremendous. I, 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 one of my roles down here in Florida is to advise the Florida Senate on uh, insurance-related technologies and risk-related technologies. And there are more than 40 individual companies with uh, level four fully autonomous vehicles being tested on the roadways of Florida today in stealth mode. Uh, with the goal of providing safe, independent mobility for an aging population and to alleviate congestion. Um, that's a mark, you know, that, that, that starts to feel like pretty significant effort. Uh, we have 443 autonomous vehicle startups on our Innovators Edge platform. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's, there's definitely external forces at work and internal change being demanded and quite frankly, no industry has ever faced that simultaneous uh, collection of influences. There's no historic precedent um, for what the insurance industry is facing in the way of change influences today. Well, we could have a whole other podcast discussion about uh, automated vehicles and their testing on public roads and the um, consent or lack thereof of uh, other drivers and pedestrians for the type of testing that's going on in a lot of states. I'm not sure about exactly where Florida is in the, on that spectrum, but Arizona is often held out as uh, kind of being at the stream, extreme end. And, uh, you know, we've done a lot of um, research and advocacy around uh, kind of the proper way to engage in testing of that uh, type of technology uh, going forward. But is that the only uh, technology that would would cause the type of disruption that uh, obviously we're reading about and hearing about a lot around uh, AVs? Yeah, Chuck, that's a great question. And, and in the noise and, and all the discussion around autonomous vehicles, it's, it's easy to miss that point. And that, uh, so it is, you're spot on. There are technologies and capabilities coming into the market that affect every line of insurance individually, similar or on par with the potential that autonomous vehicles has with changing mobility insurance. Um, there are uh, materials coming um, to the market, um, drywall that can 
take a flood and take a 200 mile an hour two by four. Um, there are sensors that can measure how storms affect a building's integrity and its pipes and wiring over time and provide essentially an MRI or ongoing ECG for a home or a commercial building. Um, and then of course there's fairly significant efforts to disrupt the distribution of insurance. Um, and, and really from the, the lens of simplicity, um, which has significant, I think, significant cost implications and investment implications um, for companies that, that end up in that, trying to innovate in that space. Um, and so autonomous vehicles is by no means um, the, the only reason to innovate, if you will. Um, there, it's across the board. Well, our members uh, in the mutual industry uh, generally, you know, many do not want to be on the bleeding edge of, uh, you know, the technology. They don't want to pay for it, and they want to wait until it's proven and uh, and and you know known to be useful to their policyholders, which uh, are the only stakeholders a mutual or the, the primary stakeholder of a mutual insurance company. Uh, I think other, particularly public companies, have different uh, demands on them from, say, analysts that ask what they're doing to address InsureTech and maybe feel more pressure to uh, at least talk about it more. Uh, but I'm wondering, given what you've said about um, innovation helping our industry and potentially disrupting it, what should you know, a regional mutual company be doing to uh, prepare for the future? Um, I, I would be looking across the landscape sort of horizontally and with the understanding that, and, and I love the way you articulated this, um, but with technologies that are proven to be valuable to their customers as the primary stakeholder. We, Unfortunately, to some degree, unfortunately, we live in a day and a time when by the time they find out that that technology or that capability is of value, it's going to be because that person or that family became a customer of somebody else first. Um, there is an adoption curve that we have that, that this, this industry is facing that they're just really not used to contending with. Now, even the most successful, quote unquote, disruptive firms are five to seven years in the making. If I would want to convey any message um, to, to your membership, it is that there is still time. There is this window that we're in the middle of now where the influences and some of the trends are undeniable, but it is by no means too late to start investigating and or act. So to specifically answer your question, a company would do well to look internally at what it does very well first and what it understands, what part of the market, what part of the consumer, and then systematically, inexpensively, go out and start exploring what the next generation or next iteration of opportunities are in that area where they have expertise. Where I think a lot of companies are getting hung up is that they view innovation 
as a big change management project. And that's the exact wrong way to be successful in innovation. It is not about, you don't change the culture first. You get some success, you start small, you start inexpensively, you start getting capital and cash flow from those efforts back into the company that you can reinvest and you grow a new culture. And, and so taking a traditional change management approach um, is a invitation to let that hundred year old culture stand in the way. Likewise, companies that are making their first effort to innovate internal improvements are also extending an invitation for all of the gremlins to come way in and, and hold things up. Um, my experience in coaching companies through innovation best practices has been that you, the best efforts have always started with two to three people. That's all. And you get engagement and you systematically lay the groundwork so that the company will accept new ways of doing things, new technologies, new people, new, new talent. Um, and, but you, and you, you get through those early days fairly quickly and inexpensively. Well, Guy, this has been uh, very interesting and I think very helpful to our members that are trying to uh, navigate their way through these challenges. Uh, hearing your last comments about um, kind of incremental change, um, getting small successes, building on progress, and creating kind of a culture of innovation, I think are all takeaways that our members can use. And uh, I think that the uh, work you're doing and the, the research uh, and, the, and the activity around uh, InsureTech uh, clearly will give our members um, uh, great motivation to focus on just those things and, uh, and be successful in this area. So, Guy, thank you. I appreciate the time today. Well, thank you, Chuck. And, and again, it's a business model and a part of our industry that is near and dear to my heart. Um, and, and it's where all my roots are from and within. So I really appreciate the opportunity to share this time with, with yourself and with NAMIC and its members. Continuing with innovation, we know blockchain is one technology with the potential to transform how insurers do business. In a recent virtual event, Swiss Re Senior Vice President Bruce Adams discussed how blockchain is revolutionary in three ways. It's decentralized with no single party in charge of the network. It's incorruptible so all records are permanent. And it's safe because the way data is recorded ensures all entries are valid. Adams gives us an example of how the technology can improve the subrogation process. Large companies in the U.S. say like, State Farm, Geico, Allstate, USA Farmers, um, they'll, owe, they'll each owe each other um, large amounts of money, say in excess of $100 million per year. And the payments are usually made on a claim-by-claim -claim basis. And, and typically the, the damages are generally fairly small on average. So, you know, if you just do the math of 10,000 uh, on average, 100 million per year, it's over uh, 10,000 checks going back and forth between each company and um, it really makes sense that they shouldn't be sending these checks back and forth they should just be keeping track of the balances and and having a process where they settle up at some point so um, a team of people from liberty mutual had proposed this to uh, to risk block um, so what they proposed is a is a block is an industry solution using blockchain 
where data would be stored on the blockchain regarding every claim. And then when liability is determined, um, instead of sending a check off, basically the accounts between each pair of insurance companies are updated. And then each pair of insurance companies will just decide how and when do they want to settle up their accounts. So do they want to settle up when the dollar amount is say greater than a million dollars or do they settle up every month, every quarter, you know, however they decide. And um, so if you think of, you know, 10,000 payments going from one company to the other, you know, so instead of that, they could just do, you know, 12 payments, just do it on a monthly basis. So a huge efficiency gain there. You can hear the rest of the virtual event on demand at NAMIC.org. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. Be sure to tune in again for our last episode of the year on December 12th. We'll hear from Ted Nickel, Wisconsin Insurance Commissioner and past president of the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Thanks for listening.